You can subscribe to this show by way of the subscribe at Substack button at truthjihad.com. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink, or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the live special edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, tackling all of the most controversial topics with many of the most interesting guests since 2006. Tonight, we're going where a few mainstream broadcasts dare to go. We're questioning some sacred cows. We're talking about things you're not allowed to talk about on the radio or on social media. And the sacred cows that we're, we're talking about uh, in a, an uncensored way tonight include the transsexual agenda and Jewish power. In the second hour, Adam Green comes on to talk about his new video, Rabbis Explain the Abrahamic Judeo Takeover Conspiracy. Now, I don't really agree with Adam's analysis, but I think he's actually pointing at a topic that needs to be discussed. And I'm not going to just sit back and call him names. I'm actually going to talk about it with him and use critical thinking to figure out where he's right, where he's wrong. I think that's how we should do it with all of these controversial topics. First hour, more controversy, LGBTQ. Um, the trans agenda in the schools, uh, medical interventions to turn boys into girls and vice versa. Where did all this come from? Uh, maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm getting old, but this, uh, this brave new world we're in strikes me as very strange. And you're not allowed to question it or you will be silenced. Well, not here on Truth She Had Radio. Bringing on a very brave doctor who has been outside the box and very successful, as, from what I understand, in dealing with COVID issues and telling the truth about them, and now he's also calling it the way he sees it about the trans issue. So uh, Dr. Syed Haydar is uh, really a hero for a whole lot of folks. Uh, He runs the MyGoToDoc.com website, and he's willing to go (laughs) where only the brave dare strike out to explore that forbidden territory. So let's talk about it. Hey, welcome, Dr. Syed Haydar. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to be with you. I mean, I've, uh, I think I was first introduced to you and some of your writing on uns.com. I don't know if you, you know that website. I think you, you post there sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I do have a regular rubric at uns.com, unz.com, which is a, another place like Truths You Had Radio where we can talk about anything we want and not get shut down. <laughs> and, and, and of course, one of these topics that people are so sensitive about these days is is this whole sort of trans thing that's becoming a fad and that scares me because you know, people are imitative creatures and when they latch on to a fad like remember Beatlemania I was just a little young for Beatlemania back in the 60s but transmania like kids lining up to get uh, ba- uh, tra- puberty blockers and surgery this uh, doesn't strike me as healthy, and I guess uh, you feel the same way. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the reason that I decided to start talking about it, you know, my, my publicist came to me, you know, during, you know, this uh, what they call Pride Month, which I might, you know, rename Shame Month. But she came to me and she said, you know, why don't you talk about this? And I was like, it's not really on brand. I don't know if it's really something that, you know, people want to hear from me. But then during one of my interviews, I was talking, I, I mentioned that I thought that the, the greatest threat against our children was the, the shot, you know, the clot shot that they're rolling out to babies. Um, because, you know, it's just, it's a terrible shot. The studies are garbage and a lot of people are dying and being, you know, disabled by it. And, and there's really no emergency at all in children to even, you know, to argue that you even need anything, right, to, to, to give them anything. Um, and then after that interview, I started thinking about it and, and I realized, you know what, it, the trans agenda is far worse. For, for the world's, for at least our children, right? It's, it's not everywhere in the world, but at least in the U.S., um, this is far more dangerous, um, this ideology is being rolled out in the schools. And, and it, you know, it's, it is, from in one sense, I guess you could say a fad, but it's an engineered fad, right? I mean, it didn't just grow organically. Um, there's a lot of big money behind it. You know, the Pritzker family of billionaires, they're uh, pushing it quite hard. One of their members, I think, is trans. Um, and so, you know, they... Like all, you know, billionaire philanthropy, it's kind of like, you know, circular, you know, the money they spend comes back and feeds their coffers, uh, you know, through the business interests that they have. So they, they give a lot of donations to, to medical schools. So I think they're out of Chicago. Anyway, they, they donate to medical schools. They donate to um, all kinds of things, you know, and, and this trans ideology, a lot of it is being, um, you know, manufactured by their um, their philanthropic foundations. Um, and, and then it feeds back into their businesses. So they sell, you know, they have uh, medical businesses, surgical supply businesses. Um, and, and of course they're, they're trying to, you know, engineer a society in their image, or at least the image of one of their members. Um, but it, go, it goes back a lot longer than that. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of, um, the Frankfurt school and critical theory and, you know, John money. And, um, you know, these ideas are really old and, and they're basically a way it seems to be to, to destroy Western civilization. Um, or, or at least, you know, these kind of liberal democracies that we live in, um, from the inside out. And, and it's been a long time coming, you know, it was kind of, you know, when I was a kid, um, or at least when I was a teenager, um, I remember seeing uh, a movie, right, with a with a trans character in it, and that was like the first time I even knew that such a thing existed. And what I would argue is that children should be sheltered from even the idea, right, of of evil things. They shouldn't even be told these things exist. Like, would anyone go and describe in great detail how we torture prisoners in Guantanamo Bay to their kids? Um, or, or describe like, you know, sex work or something to your kids or, or like, you know, you just don't want to expose them to some things, right? Um, would you talk about like societies that were cannibalistic or something, right? Like, it's like, there's a certain age for these things, right? And until somebody reaches that age, you want to, you know, shelter them. And that's what societies have historically done. Um, so th this is really concerning because children, they, they, they have a magical way of thinking about the world and you really got to think it, you have to kind of have magical thinking to accept the whole trans ideology anyway. Um, but children are particularly, particularly at risk of really believing it right as, as kids, you know, they believe in Santa Claus, the tooth fairy. So if somebody comes to them and says like little Johnny is turned into little Debbie or something like they believe it's literal, right? They, like they really think that's you know, actually happened and they're worried it might happen to them sometimes. Right.
So, um, so bringing it, planting those seeds in elementary school or in middle school, but like very early, that's what's happening now in schools around America. Um, and, and I've moved to Puerto Rico. It's even happening here. I mean, we, we know parents who are taking their kids out of schools. And that, that's what I would suggest you have to do at this point. You've got to homeschool. You've got to join like a group of people maybe to help you homeschool. But schools are not a safe place for growing minds at this point in, time, in America, at least. And social media is not safe. You've got, you got to protect your kids from social media. Um, the Internet is not safe, right? It's like having, you know, a one-click access to the red light district in your pocket, right? Like you used to have to like travel to the other side of your city or maybe another city entirely to be exposed to even the ideas, let alone like the images um, and the people that were doing these things. Now it's one click away from your child at all times. Um, if, if one of their friends has a phone in their pocket, it's like one click away on their friend's phone. Um, so, so you got to be careful about who your kids associate with, the other families that you associate with. And you got to find like-minded people, you know, because you are responsible for your children. Um, and in the latest, you know, you know, research is showing that 9 to 40%, somewhere between 9 and 40% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. Um, and so this is, this is the end of civilizations. It's an evolutionary dead end. You know, the civilizations that go down this path to the extent that we're going down it, they're, they're done with. You know, they're over and done with. They don't survive. A different civilization takes their place um, and continues, you know, the human race, hopefully, if it doesn't spread to everyone. And so this is really, it's like a, it's like a you know, it's an epic battle between good and evil. And, and the way I define, you know, one way to define evil is anything that hastens on the end of the world or the end of humanity, at least, the, you know, the world for us. Um, so, so it brings on, it makes that come faster and in dropping birth rates, you know, they bring on the end of humanity a little bit faster and, and we're going to have terrible economic devastation, um, very soon with the collapsing birth rates. We're not going to have enough people to, you know, the, the real estate markets will crash because there's not going to be anyone to live in the houses or buy the houses. Um, everything is going to crash. The economy will crash. We're not, we're not going to be able to take care of the elderly. And we're not going to be able to grow enough food. I mean, we're just not going to have anything, right? And this is what a lot of, you know, really intelligent people are truly worried about. Instead of, you know, exploding, you know, populations, it's the, it's the end of populations. It's the collapsing populations that we should really be worried about. So, um, you know, it's not climate change that we should really be worried about. It's this, right? It's these ideologies that, you know, are the death knell of societies. And you mentioned that this has been engineered, and you mentioned the Pritzker family out of Chicago. Uh, they're m- one of the big money families behind Obama, right? Obama went straight yeah, from yeah, exactly. Russian studies at uh, Columbia University with Brzezinski to uh, to Harvard, where he was anointed as the law review editor. His first job out of college was CIA. He was a CIA guy in Pakistan, apparently. And then they send him to Chicago to be a quote-unquote community organizer. Uh, rather than the impoverished communities he was supposed to be helping, he was actually working with people like the Pritzkers and other billionaires who ended up setting him up. Uh, and so, you know, we're living in a society that has been largely engineered by uh, oligarchs and their hired technicians. And Brzezinski wrote about this in his 60s work, The Tektra Technotronic Society, uh, and I wonder if you think that along with the uh, engineering in, in a sense, to be more like them, and especially the, the Pritzker who's already uh, sex changed or whatever, but they're also engineering people this way perhaps as a response to their perceived environmental crisis because there are obviously a certain segment of this elite 
believes that population has uh, gone beyond sustainability and has to be reduced by fair means or foul. And I wonder if this sort of engineering of gender, you know, into something that's no longer very reproductive, uh, along with the COVID, uh, the COVID bioweapon and the COVID shots, uh, both of which appear to be impairing fertility to some extent. I wonder if you think there could be a kind of Malthusian agenda behind this. I, I think there it, it could be that, right? Although it seems to me that like these people, you know, the, the real elites, right? The, the, the multi-billionaires, I mean, how can they not know that this like climate change thing is just BS? I mean, like, you don't have to be that smart, right? Like, you just need to do a little bit of research to realize that it's not what it's cracked up to be. Um, but sure, yeah, I mean, you know, some of these people may really have bought that. You know, let, let me quickly interrupt you climate change. And, and ask for the best, what do you think are the best sources uh, that are making your, you know, your argument on climate change? Um, so I, I did. I went down this rabbit hole a long time ago, but um, the, I think one of the most convincing, um, kind of more mainstream guys talking about this is Alex Epstein, and he's talking about what you know why fossil fuel use is the ethical thing for humanity to do, and and one of and so he has kind of a different take on it. So he he says you know well, fine, I accept climate change is real. And, and maybe it's like to some extent, you know, caused by humanity. Right. So, so that I think is up for debate. And, and there should be a very vigorous debate on whether we actually have any effect on the climate or not. Um, but even if you buy the fact that we do, his argument is that the technology like using more energy allows us to master the climate. It doesn't matter what the climate is. More people will survive. More people will live, uh, you know, a happy, healthy productive life if we use the maximum amount of energy possible, right? So for like one just simple example, in African countries, they don't have the power to run like an ICU or like a, you know, a generator to, to power the electricity in, in their hospital. And so babies die instead of being put in incubators, right? So something that, you know, somebody could easily, you know, survive in a third, you know, first world country is a, is a death sentence in a third world country because they don't have power. Um, and so, so that's just a simple example, but, but the main point, I think the kind of the main thing is that it's, it's unethical not to allow everyone in the world access to cheap, you know, easy energy, which is fossil fuels. Um, and certain, and, and certainly, you know, you, you can't replace them at this point in time. I mean, it's, it may be pie in the sky. I mean, I don't know if you'll ever be able to truly replace them. But they're irreplaceable right now because, you know, everything else, we don't have the battery technology to, you know, keep the power on. So, you know, so there's all these arguments, like in Germany, for example, you know, oh, supposedly, you know, solar power is like cheaper than, than other power, right? It's BS because every time you build a solar facility, you have to like back it up like 100% with oil, coal or oil or gas or something, right? Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're learning because, that the hard way this winter yeah. when the Russian gas supply is shut off. Yeah, so people are going to starve, you know, they're going to die from the, the cold in, in the summer from the heat. Um, and so so another one of his arguments is like, if you look back, like there, the cli climate related deaths have plummeted in, in the last hundred years, like dramatically, like they're down like 99%. Um, and so, so this argument that like people are going to die because of climate change holds no water. Okay. People are going to die if they don't have access to 
you know, um, heating in the winter and, you know, cooling in the summer. That's what kills people, right? Um, it, it's not the climate itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of course, the, you know, the climate change advocates are claiming that the, there are these, well, issues like the Himalayan uh, snow packs. Uh, if we lose those, then I forget exactly how many billions of people uh, lose their water supply. And then the oceans are being acidified, which could really wipe out the food chains in the oceans and uh, cut you know, radically cut down on the life in the oceans, which, of course, would be terrible for the people that depend on seafood. There are a number of these kinds of issues that they point at. Uh, I, I've looked into this argument, including some fairly strong stuff on the climate change skepticism side. I think it's inconclusive, really, you know, how uh, extremely serious and how fast this is coming. And I think you're probably right about the uh, necessity of fossil fuels at, at this point. I don't know. Have you looked at the Thrive movies and these other uh, folks who were pointing at the likelihood that there actually are advanced energy energy sources, cold fusion and other, quote-unquote, free energy sources that have been suppressed? And for instance, you know, one hypothesis would be it was expressed by uh, my friend Gordon Duff, the former CIA guy who claims that when he had an MJ-12 security clearance, he was told that indeed there are these free energy sources available. The uh, the ETs uh, use them, but we can't break them out on Earth right now because if we did, Earth's population would get so. Uh, so big that all kinds of other environmental problems would uh, break out. So even saving the world from global warming would not just be a drop in the bucket compared to what happens when you get 50 billion people on Earth, which is what would, and most of, the, most of that would be in Africa. You get 40 billion people or something like that in Africa within, I forget how many decades. This is what the CIA memo supposedly said, according to Gordon. So they consciously are suppressing these things, and there are all kinds of anecdotal stories about people who have been tinkering with these technologies and then had the men in black show up and basically make sure they didn't tinker anymore. So <laughs> have, you, have you looked into that stuff? I, I haven't, but, you know, you don't even have to posit, you know, free energy or, like, cold fusion. I mean, we have nuclear power, right? Like, it's been held back for 50 years, right? Um, you know, we, we could be green, Tomorrow, if we wanted to, we just have to build nuclear power plants um, everywhere, right? I mean, the technology is actually far safer than people make it out to be. I mean, it's extremely safe nowadays. Um, and, and it's one of the safest technologies in terms of, like, you know, pollutants and everything overall, right? If you look at the record for nuclear power versus oil and gas, um, and you're talking about the environment, it's far cleaner. Um, and and it's plentiful. Right? There's way more, you know, that we, we can have as much power as we want tomorrow right or or in 10 or 20 so years we don't need to, to right? turn like the whole world into her, we don't need to turn everybody into hermaphrodites then <laughs> <laughs> no um so, so yeah there's plentiful energy you can grow enough you know as much food as you really want right i mean there's ways to maximize food output that's not the problem so so i i think you know so getting back to like do they really believe this or not you know at the highest levels um, maybe it's more like they're afraid of the pitchforks coming out and, you know, eventually everyone just getting fed up and, and uh, you know, coming after them and killing them, putting their heads on a stick and, you know, marching through the streets. Um, that may be more of the, the concern, because if everyone just like, you know, gets fed up all at once, it doesn't matter how many tanks and guns you have. Right. Like you just can't put down uh, an entire population that rises up 
you know, um, to kill the 1%, right, to, to overthrow the, the tyrannical regime. Um, maybe they'll stop worrying once they have, like, you know, killer robots or something, you know, patrolling the skies um, and, you know, armies of these robots. Yeah, we better rise maybe up they before be that happens. Concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we better. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is what I tell people. They're, they're basically all of this stuff, even the transgender stuff, right? It's about multiplying division, right? It's not about acceptance. It's about creating, like, millions of different little tiny sub-tribes, right? Like, now we're going to have the, the cat tribe, right? All the kids who believe they're cats in the in the wolf tribe, right? Like, I don't even want um, to see the surgeries they're going to do on more. those kids. <laughs> yeah. So so yes, the, what what is the? I mean, the division is there so that people don't realize that they have ninety nine point nine nine percent of things in common. You know, they have common interests, right? Like everyone, you know, inflation doesn't benefit ninety nine point nine percent of people, right? It benefits the the rich, you know, who get, you know, whose uh, wealth is in assets that go up in price. Um, it benefits the real estate owners. It benefits, benefits the, you know, the stockholders. Um, so most people can't put together enough, you know, two pennies to rub together to buy a stock. You know, they just don't have, you know, savings. They have a few hundred dollars maybe at a time. So, um, so division is is the entire purpose, I think, for a lot of things that go on. And and a lot of it is, you know, there's controlled opposition there's you know the cia you know riling people up and and there's people in i think it's like done online to a tremendous extent right i think there's people in our government their entire job is just to go online and just like leave comments on websites how much they pay these people to be trolls do you think probably more than i'm making being a conspiracy (laughs) theorist being you know being trolled all the time (laughs) yeah 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 i mean some of these people are really good at it right um they they just pop in and, you know, say the right thing and, uh, and then disappear or, you know, they keep popping in and keep saying the right thing. And, and it, this division prevents people from joining together, joining forces. So really, if we all just decided to drop our little tiny minute differences and, and the, you know, the, the biggest perceived differences are amongst groups that are the most similar. OK, <laughs> like, you know, Jews and Muslims or like Christians and Muslims. Right. Like these groups are far more similar than they are different, right, in terms of their morality systems. Um, and I'm not talking about, like, may- maybe cer- certain subsects might be quite dangerous. And, um, you know, I know some people are very anti-Jewish and, and they think that they're, you know, in control of everything in the world, but it's not most Jews, right? It's not, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, that, that's one of the points I'll be making to Adam Green in the second hour tonight. He's, yeah, he's so, an expert on um, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to really get down into that rabbit hole, but my point is that, like, the majority of humanity um, is kind of on the same page in terms of what they want, right, from their government or from their life. You know, they want a roof over their heads and they want, you know, um, food that they can afford and they want, you know, um, they, they most people would love if they could survive on a single income, right? Like, you know, and not have to, you know, have two parents work. and And so, like, you know, the, the requirements, are, you know, just these, they want, you know, to be able to pay for gas, to put in their car, to be able to go on vacation once in a while. You know, I mean, certainly first world wants are a little bit, you know, different than third world wants. But but really what what's really important to most people is the same thing. Right. And, and then there's these tiny little ideological differences that account for, you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the discord on our planet. Um, and, and they're just, you know, they're used by the elite to keep us down, right? Because we, we can't get enough people, you know, to to join one group to you know to to threaten them, to threaten their power. 
Well, what, what would you say to people who would say, well, you're, you're actually right about all of this, Dr. Heider, but don't you think that pushing back against the trans thing is actually kind of feeding the divisiveness, that they're almost kind of baiting us, you know, trolling us with this trans thing, and then we respond, and then they respond, and it becomes such a thing that, you know, we're actually, just, just by going there and talking about it, we're contributing to the divisiveness. How, how, how do we respond to that? Yeah, so that, I mean, that's an interesting question. It's a great question. Um, so my my perception of this issue is that it's it's evil, and they are slowly transforming the – they're slowly eroding the silent majority in this country across generations, right? Um, and so if everyone had just spoken out 50 years ago, we wouldn't be here where we are today. But like I said before, nine to forty percent of Gen Z is LGBT identifies. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's up with that? It's, is that is that the plastics? Uh, the environment? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I mean, so some people might say there's chemicals, but it's it's because it's in the schools. It's because it's invaded the schools, and kids are being exposed to the idea very early, right? And then then it's like the cool thing, right? It's like you you want to ask your kid, your friends, like you know, what do you identify as? And no one wants to say I'm just like plain vanilla right like it's just a normal person yeah. um yeah, so, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's cool like the san francisco right ethos I, I lived in san francisco for for a while from like 81 to 94 or something like that and and uh yeah vanilla is a kind of a term of abuse in those cultures <laughs> right and and so you you know you want to be the new sexy thing right the new cool thing the you know the, the thing that all the cool kids are right and so and and you can become popular overnight you know especially online extremely fast and and grow your follower count or whatever that's what you know gen z cares about um so so but to get back to your question i I think that you know when evil rears its ugly head if if everyone just remains silent it wins out in the end right um so so even if it's a losing battle you know in the long run even if you know we're on life support in america you know as a society as a culture um the right thing to do from a larger perspective from the point of view of like eternity right for people who believe in the next world and next life what would you know for christians what would jesus do for you know other you know monotheists what would god want you to do um and and so that's the answer to the question like what is the ethical right thing to do right now um you have to speak out against evil right you have to either hate it and that's like the lowest level, right? And, and this is kind of a Muslim idea. That right, like right. The you lowest hate, level. Hate it with your heart is the lowest degree of faith. Yeah. 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 Right. And and this is not what's going to prevent it being spread in a society. So evil only spreads when people don't call it out, right? When they don't say something, if they they see it and they just remain silent, then it spreads. That's what's happening right now. And you know, a better thing would be to just change it yourself, right? Like if you're the head of a school, just say like, okay, we're going to try to like go to our constituents and raise funds instead of depending on the federal government for funds. Or if you're like the, a sheriff in a sheriff's department, you know, and and you're being called upon to do something you don't believe in, and you know, it's like the money is what's leading you to do it, right? Like the government can print whatever they want to, you know, further whatever agenda they want. Which is basically, I, th- I think, one of the root causes of all evil in our society is the money printer, yeah, right? Um, absolutely. And and then and there a lot of the scientific, quote unquote, you know, scientific agendas, um, you know, scientific agenda. I mean, they're not really scientific, but anyway, the 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 research agendas, right? They're they all further government ideologies, and and a lot of them are in the interest of trying to minimize the effects of inflation. Right. So inflation is the, you know, it's the elephant in the room that no one talks about. It's the, it's the, 
it's real. It's the real tax, right? It's the, hey, the silent, taxes are going up. Hidden tax. <laughs> yeah. Taxes are going up, but but the real tax, yeah, taxes are going through the roof, right? Because so so it's people don't realize that it's a tax on their on their wealth, right, and their income. It's it's a the most pervasive, most regressive tax you know imaginable, um, because it you know it primarily affects people who are not wealthy. Right, the wealthy are shielded from it because their asset prices go up with inflation. Right, their their gold and their their stock. So so, some would argue Um, that that, that with you know the real like Michael Hudson's take is that it's there's this ages long battle between uh, creditors and debtors, and that I mean inflation isn't good, but somebody who is in a position to be a creditor is somebody who's amassed a lot of money. And they're holding on to that money, uh, and you know, they, they, inflation makes is, is a tax on on their money. So inflation is basically a tax on on wealth, and accumulated wealth is taxed more than people. people you know, a little, a lot of wealth gets taxed more than a little wealth. Right. So there, there's a difference between creditors, right, who have debt out in the in the world, and people who have their wealth in real estate and in the stock market or in companies or in gold or silver or like mines, you know, like real things, those things will always, you know, be fine, right? Gold is always going to be worth something. Um, and if our dollar gets inflated away to nothing, gold will be, you know, infinitely valuable in terms of dollars. Um, and so, so any, any culture, right? Any society that's gone through hyperinflation, I mean, certainly, you know, you can buy buildings for pennies on the dollar, but eventually, you know, once the, you know, society kind of resets, you know, you're going to be, that building is going to be worth something, right? If there's still a civilization there, if there's still a city there, people are going to need to rent it from you. Um, and so, so if you have like real things instead of the paper, if, if you're somebody who just has paper, yeah, certainly you're going to be, you know, out of luck. If you, if you hold a lot of debts that become worthless, certainly, right? So all of our creditor, all the creditor nations of the U.S., I mean, they are going to be left holding the bag eventually, right? Like every, um, there, there's always going to be default through inflation um, by inflating away the power of your currency. Um, once you go down this path, there's no way out of it, right? Like we have gone too far, right? Our debt has ballooned far more, you know, to, to a point that um, our GDP can't keep keep up with it. And, and we will eventually either default, you know, which is unlikely, or inflate our way out of it, right? So we'll pay it back in worthless, you know, paper, um, but, but the people who, you know, at least so far are fine are the ones who own real things, not, not the paper, right? Like they're not depending on the debt and the paper, um, for their wealth. Um, so they're not just, you know, bankers and all they have, but, you know, all of the wealthy, you know, some of their income, you know, I'm sure is in debt instruments and stuff like that. I mean, they spread it around, right? Like they all own a lot of land, right? A lot of real estate and a lot of real stuff, right? Like productive enterprises in the real world. Um, you know, no one who's significantly wealthy only owns paper and debt. Mm-hmm. Although a lot of wealth has gone into this kind of speculative casino of the uh, pr- you know printing these new monetary instruments, and uh, you know it, and it, you know these various ways of speculating on on debt. So the Wall Street paper economy has actually become bigger compared to the Main Street productive economy. Um, but yeah, I, I think your your point is well taken. But I, I think the in, inflation issue does kind of cut both ways, and the, the people who have to pay back debt 
which to some extent are people who borrow it to try to do productive activity with it, and in other cases are people who are poor enough that they need to borrow. Uh, they actually, when they pay back in inflated dollars, then they're actually getting off easy. And Hudson makes the point that uh, debt jubilees are necessary, that if you don't have that, then in a compound interest system, all of the money is going to get sucked up into very, very, very few hands, just based on the laws of exponential mathematics. Uh, so I think there's something to that. And right. Then, so, so the obvious, like the cleanest system is obviously the Islamic banking system where there is no, you know, interest, right? right. You don't right. even have interest in the first place. Instead of having to, like, you know, take away somebody's right by, you know, um, having a debt jubilee every, you know, 50 or 100 years, um, you don't give them that, you know, you know, it's not, you know, you, you don't give them that right in the first place to take, you know, on interest or, or to spend interest. Um, so, so I think that's the cleanest solution, right? It's just to not have interest in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, you know, that leads us to the topic of Islam actually having some really relevant answers to these things. Uh, I actually came to Islam back in the mid nineties. And one of the reasons I did was that I looked into it and saw that it jibed with my understanding of human nature that I'd gotten both from life experience and from reading anthropology and things like that. And there, I, I, you know, there is a human nature. I think you know, the Islamic revelation kind of gets it right and uh, gives us reasonable rules for dealing with it. And, and I wonder if, if you think that the whole, one of the problems with this, this trans ideology and so many other so-called modern ideologies is that they deny that there is any actual built-in sort of human nature and they believe that you can just make people into anything you want. So it's easy to make a, a boy into a girl and vice versa. And, uh, you know, that, and that, that's kind of a satanic ideology, isn't it, of rising up against the creation that the way it, it is and that we have to sort of radically change things. Uh, uh, maybe you could, you could comment on that. Yeah. So what, what that, you know, kind of reminds me of or brings up for me is a, a thought that I had recently that, Christianity really sowed the seeds of its destruction when it went down this Trinity pathway, okay? This is, you know, intellectually unsatisfying, okay? It doesn't make sense, right, to human beings that, you know, it's kind of like saying a man can be a horse, right? He's a man and he's a horse at the same time. It just doesn't make sense, right? So if you understand what the word God means, like what is God, like a one God, right? Like if you get the idea it's completely nonsensical to say that God is a man, right? Like they're two completely different things that cannot be conjoined. It's just as ridiculous as saying a man is a horse. Yeah, right? well, one of my professors, man, right? J- Jacob Needleman, uh, he said that it was a, a great Zen koan, <laughs> right? <laughs> like an absurd thing that is so absurd that it just, you know, you know, it freezes your mind, and then you can be open to transcendental experience. So maybe if you know, people meditate on God, a God is a man, then they have that one-hand clapping kind of mystical experience. I don't know. But yeah, right, no, but, but, to, well but, to, but to, explain, to explain further kind of the thought that I had, you know, the this tradition, this, um, you know, um, kind of like a philosophical, you know, tradition in Western country, in Western civilization of atheism, right? That never got going in, in the Islamic, you know, countries or in the Islamic tradition, right? They, they don't have this um, philosophical history of this atheistic idea, right? It, it never sprouted. It didn't have fertile ground to sprout, right? 
Um, but it really built up steam in Western civilization. And I think it's because they left the door open by, by making this ridiculous claim. Um, and then people just rejected religion outright, like just, you know, wholesale. They were just like, you know, this is, you know, I can't believe this, right? It just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Um, it's not realistic. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't compute. Um, and so, and so this is, this is, this was the seed of destruction because atheism is really kind of like the core principle that opens the door to destroying, you know, Western civilization or at least Western Christian civilization, um, and overthrowing it. And, and we're seeing that, you know, all of these kind of, you know, Marxist ideas and the Frankfurt School, all of this stuff has its, you know, origin in atheism and and nihilism and, you know, all of these things, all of these ideas and relativism, you know, all these philosophies, they, they entered Western civilization through the door of atheism, which I think was left open because of the idea of the Trinity. And none of that stuff ever took hold in, in Muslim lands because it's, it's as pure of a mono, like it's just utterly pure monotheism right like there you know you don't make any excuses right and you don't have to it's there's one god and that's it you know mm-hmm. end of the story um and and if you really start to understand the idea and it takes some time it's not something that you can really intellectually grasp you know overnight it's more of like it takes years to really understand it um and to live it and to like, you know, and sometimes you have to like travel and you have to meet people and you have to like see how this works in, in, re- in the real world and how people really understand it. Um, and so it took me like probably decades to really wrap my head around some of, of, of you know, I was born Muslim, but, uh, you know, I grew up in the West and I grew up, you know, indoctrinated with all these Western ideas and Western schools. Um, and then I went back to Pakistan and, uh, you know, I lived there for five, six years. Um, and I got to see what a Muslim, you know, an ancient Muslim civilization actually looks like from the inside and, and how people there really understand monotheism and, you know, what one God means and, and kind of, the, and then you start to slowly understand the wisdom behind things that it, you know, first glance seemed to be utterly wrong to you, right? When you're coming from an alien culture, um, you know, like some of the ideas around like, you know, men and women are completely different, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with being feminine, right? A woman should be feminine and a man should be masculine, right? Um, and, and so like a lot of these, you get kind of brainwashed when you grow up in this culture. And the, and the problem is the brainwashing is becoming so much worse with each passing generation. They're getting so much farther away from like true human nature, right? That the, the journey back is harder and harder to make. So it was hard enough for me to make the journey back to kind of like, traditional, um, you know, the, the understanding of the ancients and the, you know, traditional Islamic understanding, the traditional Islamic worldview, it was hard enough for me when I grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but it's exponentially harder for Gen Z, right? Because of all these myths and things that they've been, you know, imbibing, right? Like these just they're just made up ideas right? that people are. And, and again, they're being given to them. They're being fed to them at this age where you will believe anything that's told to you. Right. Um, you tell somebody there's a, you know, God is a man or, you know, there's like somebody living in the sky or there's a man in the moon or there's, you know, Santa Claus. They just believe it. Right. Um, and, it, and if, you know, they grow out of the whole Santa Claus and the tooth fairy thing, but they hold on to a lot of these other things, which they never realize. And they're, they're, they never, you know, consider them in any depth, right? And they, they don't realize, no one ever walks them through, like, how these things are incoherent, right? They make no sense when you really examine them, 
right, to any extent. Um, and, and you can very easily, you know, take apart new atheism, right? I mean, it just takes like maybe 20, 30 pages of, you know, something well-written and, and you can just dismantle all their seemingly tight logical arguments, right? You discover that they are completely illogical and they, they make a lot of logical fallacies. Um, but, but kids aren't being taught that, right? They're just being given an ideology and, and told to believe it. What, what do you think about the possibility that 9-11 was deliberately engineered, among other things, to launch the new atheism? You know, it was interesting how those books came out riding the wave of anti-Islam hysteria after 9-11, and it really did almost look like somebody had not only wanted to launch these various wars against Muslim countries to benefit various special interests, um, but also possibly to try to sort of change the history of ideas by trying to stop this uh, kind of spread of Islam that was starting to be, you know, there was a very intense, heady atmosphere of Islamic thought in the 90s. And then, you know, this 9-11 public relations stunt smeared Islam and Muslims as a bunch of lunatic, you know, suicidal kamikazes and so on, terrorists. And then, you know, that's been used to push back against Islam ever since. And so I, I wondered if you had, you know, looked into that. And, um, you know, I, this, of course, has been my issue since beginning of 2004. And so I'm just curious about, you know, what is your take on that? Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of one of those chicken or egg questions, you know, like maybe there's just the time was right, you know, after that for some of these ideas to take hold. Um, you know, I, I think that people discount just the very idea of conspiracies, right? And, and that's ridiculous, because everything, almost everything, anything that has any significant impact on reality or the world is a conspiracy of some kind, right? Like, you could say Apple's a conspiracy, Google's a, Google's a conspiracy, right? Like, they wouldn't have any power in the marketplace if they didn't have a bunch of people going after one idea, you know, the same goal. So um, certainly, you know, conspiracies are the way that the world works. You know, that, that's how things get done in, in the real world. Um, and, and, you know, it was a, you know, it's like a, you know, this better than I do, that it's like a, you know, it's a CIA idea that's been seeded into us that, you know, it's a tinfoil hat kind of thing. And it's ridiculous. You know, you can't, don't ever even consider that, you know, it, it just, you know, you, you hear something and you just say conspiracy theorist and then you just turn off your brain. Right. And, and you don't consider it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's speculative and, you know, I, I would say it's, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't have any proof one way or the other. I haven't really thought about that particular question. But, I, you know, for me, I think it's just important to keep your mind open and realize that conspiracy theories are the default mode of, you know, the way that men get things done, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, entering into conspiracies with other people. And certainly there are, you know, forces that play in the world that are hidden from the vast majority of humanity. Um, and, and it's helpful to kind of pull back the curtain and realize what's actually going on. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a plausible, you know, theory. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look into the sort of national security, international relations field, um, you quickly discover that history is full of all sorts of stuff that they don't tell you in your high school textbook. <laughs> uh, and, and that, you know, yeah. our side, the good guys, right? The axis of good, um, is not exactly, you know, the, the mythical force for, for benevolence that we've been told. Uh, well, uh, so how about the, the interfaith dimension of working with other people of faith uh, against these bizarre sort of, you know, culture-jacking agendas 
um, of cultural Marxism. It seems that the Christians haven't figured out that the Muslims are on their side, and, and some, you know, some Jews as well. Uh, and that, as you said earlier, that we share a lot of things in common. You know, the Christians seem to be shocked when you tell them that, yeah, we Muslims say that, yeah, Jesus is the real Messiah and uh, the, right. the son of the Virgin Mary. And he's, he's, you know, we're praying that he comes back and sets things right, just like you are. And, and they kind of go, really? I thought you hated Jesus. No, that's, that's the Jews. Right? Uh, uh, but in, in terms of trying to bring people together on these things, uh, and, and even the sort of the, the not-so-religious people, the people that didn't get a religious education, uh, how do we get past this notion that it's like a parochial religious hang-up to, you know, to not like uh, trans surgery being foisted on little kids? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, that, that's, the, that's the, you know, the thing that I tell, you know, Christians. I, I went to a church, you know, a few months ago, and that's what I told them, right? That, like, we love Jesus, um, and we're waiting for the Messiah to return, and we will fight alongside you, right? Like, we will all be united under one banner, um, the Muslims and the Christians, and, and I think, you know, I, I would say many of the Jews, too. Um, so, so I think you're exactly right. You have to point out our, our similarities, you know, what, what is the common thread, you know, amongst us. And, uh, it reminds me of this, uh, this, um, it's a website and, uh, a movement called the common word. Um, and it was, uh, a letter that was sent from a number of, um, Muslim scholars to the Pope and, and a number of other Christian, you know, leaders around the world, you know, telling them, you know, what is, and, and it comes from a verse in the Quran, I think, where uh, or from a hadith or something, but where God says, you know, call them to a common word between, you know, us and you. So call them to a common word between, you know, the Muslims and the Christians um, and that, we, you know, belief in one God and then I think love of the neighbor or something. I, I don't remember the exact details, but, you know, you have to find the commonalities and, and realize that the, the ethical basis of these religions is almost identical, right? They, they come from the same source. And, and their essential ethics are the same, um, despite some, you know, these minor differences in the way that they're put into, into practice. Um, you know, sometimes I feel sorry for, um, for Christians, um, especially because they don't really have a strong law to fall back on, right? Um, the way, like Muslims, um, you know, it's a lot easier for us to deal with things like abortion because we have all these kind of rules around it, right? Like we, we believe that the soul enters the body at a certain time and, and like all the, the details of the law are quite clear, right? Um, in, you know, the vast majority of them, you know, obviously there's some differences in, of opinion in the modern world, you know, how you apply things to the modern world. But anyway, I mean, that's kind of a tangent. I mean, to, to the, your main point in question, I mean, I, I don't see any other way other than somehow delivering the message to as many people as possible, right? Which is, I think, what you're trying to do and what a lot of people in alternative media are trying to do is to deliver the message. And then the the responsibility falls upon your listeners. If you have accepted the message and you believe, you know, then you need to spread it, right? It needs to be word of mouth. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take much to spread one idea to the entire world, right? Like if you tell you know, 10 people and they tell 10 people and they tell, tell 10 people like every day, um, it'll just take a couple of weeks before the entire world has heard um, this message. And so, so that's really like the responsibility falls upon the people who have heard it. And the responsibility of speaking out against evil falls upon the people who know that it's evil, right? Because 
the the damage is not limited to your own self or your own life or your own family. The damage is universal, right? We're we're destroying humanity and we're destroying future generations. These you know, 10 to 40% of Gen Z um, who identify as LGBTQ, um, they're far less likely to have kids and reproduce and pass on like, you know, historical ideals, right? And, uh, and, and far less likely, if they do have kids, they're more likely to be dysfunctional adults, because we know that, you know, strong nuclear families are what, you know, lead to strong, independent, you know, healthy, happy, long lived adults, you know, who make good money and get educated and, and have all the you know benefits of this life, um, and so so the spread of this evil is harmful and you know tremendously harmful, and and you have to sit there if you're not speaking up, you have to I think meditate on the the how far this evil you know how many people it affects. It doesn't just doesn't affect you know the people alive right now. It affects you know future generations you know down to the end of time. Which is why seemingly, you know, things that seem only to harm you, they, they oftentimes harm, you know, many people beyond you. And then when they harm them, they affect people that they are in, interacting with. Like, so, so a simple example is, you know, people think that, you know, if I just do something, you know, in the privacy of my bedroom, um, in the middle of the night and no one knows about it, I'm just hurting myself, if anyone, um, but like everyone carries around this judge inside them, right? Like you judge yourself um, before anyone else does, right? Um, and and when you've judged yourself to have done something that you deep down know is wrong, that changes the way you interact with other people. Maybe you take it, maybe you take it out in like in anger on your kids or something, right? You're actually angry at yourself for doing the wrong thing, but but you're you're snappy with your kids. Then they grow up and they're snappy with their kids and, and they're snappy with other people in their life around them. And, and so you're spreading these waves of evil spread out from you. Right. Um, and so like seemingly minor things can really have a tremendous impact um, on the world around you and on future generations. And, and when it's an idea like this, when it's a mind virus, right, it's extremely infectious, like these ideologies, um, they can just um, cause tremendous harm to people and, and not just in this world, but in the next world. Um, and so, so that you have to sit there and consider the gravity of the situation, the tremendous nature of your reality, right? The effect you have on this world and, and the people in it and, 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 and how it affects their next world, right? Like if you are spreading evil, right, then you are harming other people, not just in this life, but in the next life, right? Because they may, you know, for example, if you're a Muslim and you're going around and you're cheating people, you know, you're driving them away from Islam, right? If you're if you're shouting at somebody when they're, you know, cutting you off, right? Like you're driving them away from the truth and from what will be uh, beneficial for them in the next life. So, so you're you're bringing them tremendous harm, right? You don't even realize it. So, so people need to sit there and consider why is the punishment, you know, why are the punishments so severe? Why why does hell exist, right? Like why is the punishment for seemingly, you know, innocuous things so severe. It's so severe because it harms more than just you. It harms many, many people, right? It spreads out from you and ripples and it affects, you know, everyone around you. And, and eventually it reaches the entire world because those people interact with other people who interact with other people. Um, and, and, it, and it especially affects your children and, and the people that come after you, you know, and the people that they raise.
Um, and just by that, right? Like if you just have, you know, a couple of kids and they have a couple of kids, and they have a couple of kids each, right? Like you're talking about thousands of people within a few generations, you know, that you are affecting by what you do. Right. Yeah. That's a point that gets raised when I talk with libertarian style Americans who say things like, you can't legislate morality. And of course, well, what what are you legislating when you're legislating against theft and murder and rape and so on, but you're legislating morality. But as you say, uh, these other moral issues are not entirely private. Yeah, exactly. Which is, um, you know, that this is the, the big problem because, um, you know, a generation ago, maybe, or even before that, um, people got convinced that, you know, as long as it's kind of private, it's not a big deal, right? Um, but the other, the other big problem along these lines is the way that the, the language was slowly changed. So what used to be looked down on and called sodomy was then relabeled sex, right? And then from, from accepting it as sex, then you accept marriage, right? Um, and so, and, and now it seems like, like it's a, it's a sacrament. They can't. They, medical doctors can't even advise uh, these gay men not to do it in a monkeypox epidemic because that would be sort of uh, blaspheming against this sacrament of uh, of homosexual activity, which we're all supposed to kowtow to. Yeah, and and the other thing, right? Like with this this trans ideology in in you know elementary schools. I mean, they're telling kids about anal sex. I mean, could you imagine twenty years ago? Telling like four or five year olds about anal sex, I, mean, I couldn't imagine being exposed to even the idea. Right? I, I don't know when I learned that it was a thing. I mean, probably in my teens, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm glad I didn't know about it. But now, like, kids are being told about this, and they're like practicing it. Right? Like, they're they're doing it in the bathroom stalls with each other when they're like nine, ten years old. I mean, it's just utterly disgusting what we're doing. And this doesn't even get into you know what you know the things we're doing to their bodies and their health and their you know their future health and hacking off body parts and mutilation. I mean, the, the direction the society is going, I don't know. Has any society ever become this depraved? I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, certainly there's I'll been... loot the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe. Uh, we're heading in that direction anyway. Oh, boy. Um, well, we only, we only have a couple of minutes left. And uh, I know it would have been interesting also to talk about your approach to health and medicine, but... <laughs> with only two minutes, I'm not sure how much of that we can talk about. Uh, maybe you could at least tell people where to go to find out about that. Yeah, so it's mygotodoc.com, M-Y-G-O-T-O-D-O-C.com. Um, you can look me up online, and, and you'll find my website as well, my name, Dr. Syed Heider. Um, the, the great thing about it, I think the, the most beneficial thing about it, is people can register for free as a patient in my practice. You can upload your, kind of your medical information, fill out a medical form, and then I can give you free medical advice. So if you have questions, if you want to know what's really going on, you know, in terms of the pandemic or the pandemic or the case-demic or, or the coming monkeypox scare, um, you can ask us and, and we'll, get, we'll give you free medical kind of answers and advice. That's fantastic. Uh, are, are you getting any pushback from this? I, I know that like, Meryl Nass, another uh, medical doctor radio guest, has gotten severe pushback. Uh, are, are you facing any of that? So I, I have gotten a bunch of, you know, spurious complaints from medical boards, um, which I was able to get rid of, um, thank God. So four or five medical boards kind of came after me, you know, things that they never would have come after me for, you know, ever before, you know, like ivermectin prescribing and stuff. Um so that, that, that's the extent of it so far. So I've mostly been flying under the radar um, and kind of, you know, I, you have to be independent nowadays as a physician and you have to kind of like know how to 
kind of shield yourself from some of these things. So, so far, I've been lucky, thank God. Um, so, you know, everyone keep me in your prayers. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> keep, keep up the great work, uh, <laughs> Dr. Syed Haider. I appreciate your frank uh, free speech and your, I think, very well-considered opinions. And I hope and pray that people will be able to keep speaking freely about these subjects. So uh, good luck, God bless, and look forward to talking again down the line. Thank you. Thanks. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. It's Dr. Said Heider. I'm Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio, bringing on Adam Green of No More News to discuss his rabbis explain the Abrahamic Judeo takeover conspiracy video. <laughs> that just sounds interesting. Uh, stick around for that.